You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Levon Proverbs Piku. She is a poet, a preacher, an educator. She's based in Oakland, California. So we had this conversation over Skype. I met her through Sydney Lowe, who was my guest on episode 55. She is a beautiful spoken word poet, and she combines that artistry with her work as a minister in a really fascinating way. And she's also a survivor of male sexual violence, and she started an organization called Beautiful Scars. Let me read the description of um, what that organization does from her website because it sums it up really well. Through her organization, Beautiful Scars, Levon promotes healthy and safe conversations around religion, sex, and blackness in order to, ultimately, address the silence in the black church on sexual abuse. It was a pleasure to speak with her. Um, I was having a really, actually, terrible day the day we did this interview, and it she was so inspiring and her outlook on life was so beautiful. It really turned, turned my day around. It was a pleasure. I hope everyone has a little break over the holidays of some sort. And The Compass will be back with a new episode that I'm really excited about on Friday, January 5th. You can check out Levon's work at levonp.com. And I'll put all her other information in the show notes about where to find her on social media, etc. I hope you enjoy the 102nd episode of The Compass. Well, I always start with the same question, which is, how do you try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? That is a fabulous question and one that we need to ask ourselves a lot in this day and age. Um, (laughs) I am a big advocate for self-care. Self-care is not a luxury. It is not a privilege. It's a right. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that we indulge in it because that is a uh, self-care is a form of revolution. And for me, that means taking care of my body. Um, working out, you know, I teach spin classes because I love spin and I was like, Hey, this is a way to monetize it because having more money as an artist is always better. Uh (laughs) Um, and so I try to do really well with my diet, checking in with my husband. Um, I like to be around people who I don't have to perform around where I can just be myself. Uh, the phrase that I like to use is, uh, I enjoy spending time with people with whom I can let my soul slouch. Mm. Those folks where you can just kind of exhale and be yourself. And um, 
who holds you in love and light. Yeah, I love that. Mm. It re- is really easy to put self-care as something that you can't afford. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it could be as simple as taking a walk around your block if you live in a relatively safe neighborhood. Um, Groupon and Living Social, they tend to have discounted deals. Um, always looking for discount services, you know, facials. You can go to um, school, spa schools, you know, like Aveda mm-hmm. and other folks have them where you're getting trained with folks who are just about to be professionals. So, you know, the quality of service is pretty comparable. Um, so there are some interesting ways where you can get the fancy schmancy treatment without the fancy schmancy price tag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, just one little thing. I think your hair okay. is rubbing on the mic. Do you mind just, oh, just put it behind your shoulder on that one side? Perfect. Yes. So Thank, sorry. Thank you. Do you need me to say anything over again? No, it'll be fine. I'm not a perfectionist with this, especially when I'm recording over Skype. It's going to be how it's going to be. Okay, I love it. Well, I would love to share with you a saying, a quotation from Mother Elder Ancestor Audrey Lord, who says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Hmm. Has that always been something you've turned to, self-care, or did you, did you have a moment when you realized, oh, this is something I need to focus on in my life? Sure. It has not always been something that I was good at. I grew up the daughter of West Indian immigrants, and my mom was very much old school, and dad gets the big piece of chicken and gets the remote control, (laughs) and she was self-sacrificial to a point. And so I grew up thinking that womanhood was equated with martyrdom, especially for your children. And so it wasn't until probably my mid to late 20s when I started developing my own family systems and got into therapy. Mental health care is very Mm -hmm. important. Even if you had the most glistening, gilded, problem-free childhood, you know, it always helps to kind of sit down and talk things through with someone who's formally trained. But it was through that process and through that journey that my being matters, my needs matter, and that I can't be a good partner, a good artist, a good human being if I don't speak up for myself and say no. No is a complete sentence. No (laughs) is a holy word. And if you're still in the beginning stages of learning how to say no and not feeling bad about it, I'd love to, but I can't is a great tool Mm. because you still kind of give the idea that, oh, yes, I really want to be present for you, but you don't have to go into the explanation of why and making up an excuse and lying and it's just not cool. (laughs) (laughs) However it works. I love that you have different options. I do. You have to know the people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I know that you're a poet Mm -hmm. and I know that you're a minister as well. Are there any other art forms that you dabble in that I should know about since we're just meeting? Sure. So I have dabbled in dance in the past, uh, liturgical dance in particular, as a way to connect with my body. And I am not a yoga teacher, but I identify as a yogi. And yoga is an art of sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anything that really helps me to amplify the interior conversation and to think about the space that I'm taking up and to be okay with that, Um, That's really important to me, especially around my work as a survivor of male sexual violence. 
you know, wanting to know that my body is in a safe space, that I am in control of my body and that my body can do beautiful things. And a part of that healing process is creating, creating um, and leaving a mark and having a body of work that reflects different milestones in my life, that reflects the growth, the journey of life as I mature and grow in womanhood. Um, And so I, I love that art helps me to connect with divine inspiration and makes me a part of a long lineage uh, of a very rich legacy of other art creators and will hopefully be around so that those coming behind us can enjoy it one day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Thanks, YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's kind of great. Like I was just going on a little binge of your YouTube channel before we started talking and it's so awesome that you can, you know, collect all of these live performances there for people to experience. Yeah, and I found that people who are avid users of other platforms like Instagram, for example, that you can not only get shorter snippets, but you can get their vantage point. So not only where they're sitting, but what particular piece of your work is causing them to pull out their phone and say, I need to capture this moment right now. What am I saying that is resonating with them so deeply that they would post it on their page and share content with their followers? So it's a really neat interaction and breaking of this wall um, that's there because you think we're in this space, we're in this movie theater or this bookstore or this library, this this hall. But no, now that we have the advent of technology, your work can go so much further in such a short amount of time that you never know who's going to click play and pause one day. How are you mostly engaging as an artist these days? Do you mostly, I don't know if perform is the right word, but do you mostly speak your words in church or in coffee? Like what kind of venues are you seeking out these days? What most appeals to you? That's a great question. So I was actually a full-time youth and young adult pastor at a large black Baptist church in Northern California. That's what brought me to the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And I got accepted into a startup accelerator and I had to make a choice. I said, do I sit in this space that's very comfortable, that has direct deposit every 15th and 30th, <laughs> or do I take a chance and go out on my own and step out on faith and to allow the energy and the deposits that I sow, can I reap that back? And so this particular startup accelerator is called Do Good X. It's for Christian social entrepreneurs who wish to do good in the world. And it's uh, conducted by the Forum for Theological Exploration. And so for eight weeks, we got to delve into the why behind our work and the problem solving. And it became clearer to me that while I was trying to build a business model around a subscription service, that wasn't what got me out of bed in the morning. Since I was young, I've been an orator. I've always loved speaking. You know, some Mm. people are like, oh, I could never speak in front of a room full of people. That gives me so much life, so much (laughs) energy. And so, of course, if a church invites me to preach, as long as their theology isn't trash, because I'm not going to co-sign that, I would be happy to go share what I believe the God of love, light, liberation is encouraging me to share. But I've been fortunate to feature at different venues in Oakland, um, the New Parkway. Just last week, I was a featured poet at the New Parkway Theater in Oakland, California. And very soon I'll be at 
Nomadic Press, also in Oakland, where I'll be a part of a platform of women writers and poets. Uh, we are multi-faith, interfaith, uh, mm. intersectional feminists, and we are going to have not only a display of our work, but also a talk back, a conversation with the audience. And so I'm realizing that wherever communities are gathering, wherever there is resistance, that is where love is, that is where light is, and that's the space. Those are the spaces that I want to be a part of. That's so exciting. I want to go to that event with you. <laughs> that sounds I love beautiful. That I've been telling a bunch of people about it. So again, we'll see if anyone goes live on you know, oh, that's Facebook true. or Instagram and maybe that's we can true. share the link somehow. Yeah, that would be awesome. So, mm-hmm. you, so you said that you've always been an orator. When, when did you kind of realize that you were an artist or a poet when you were growing up? So when I was in third grade, I had Mrs. Zimmerman and she had us write short stories. And I wrote this short piece about this raven. And this is before I even knew who Edgar Allan Poe was. (laughs) And all I know is I saw this bird in this tree and I wanted to write this story. So I shared it with the class. And when I was done, Mrs. Zimmerman said, you could be a writer one day. I was like, what does that mean? I don't know what you're talking about, lady. I just know (laughs) I wanted to get this story out. And so I was a part of storytelling contests in elementary school. Um, Whenever there were speaking roles in church, of course, my Caribbean mother was going to make sure that I was in the Easter and Christmas plays. And, you know, that's where you get your strength to perform in front of people who are just loving on you and encouraging you. And is this, Uh, was this in New York? Is that where you? Yeah, I grew up in Queens, New York. So I grew up going to. That's um, where I am right now. I'm in Astoria right now. (laughs) (laughs) In Jamaica, New York, home of the best beef patties. There was this place, Wilson's Bakery on Guyar Brewer Boulevard. (laughs) And the beef patties, I don't eat much red meat these days, but back then the beef patties, it it was so well seasoned (laughs) and the crust was so flaky and the cocoa butter, I mean, the cocoa bread was so buttery. Oh. So good. Great times. I love food. I love to eat. <laughs> it's the best food in Queens. The best. Keeps you nourished for the journey. Um, what was the question again? So we were saying uh, when you first kind of realized that you were a poet. Oh, and so I just really was affirmed throughout my life. When I was in high school in 10th grade, I wrote a poem about music called My Beat, My Jam. And I set it to an instrumental mixtape, a sort of mashup of all my favorite songs at the time, mid-90s. And uh, (laughs) my teacher was so impressed, she actually submitted it to the Princeton Arts Council. And they had an anthology called Underage for writers under the age of 18. And I was published, and I got to do a reading at Princeton. So by the time I was in high school, I realized I have a gift that other people are noticing. And all I'm doing is just telling my truth. So... Uh, ultimately I started doing poetry in church and I did a special performance for one of our elders and a lot of people were really impressed and wanted me to come to their churches. And then actually when I was interning in the Bay area in the summer of 2010, I started going to open mics and getting a feel for social justice and what were people talking about that was going on in the streets, not just in their religious lives. And the conversation would always be about how there is no divine being, that there's no God, God doesn't exist. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, people, let's talk about this. 
I get it. There's some angst. There's some anger. If there's a God, then why do we have poverty? If there's a God, why are people homeless? Uh, there's a fancy word I learned in seminary called theodicy, right? Like evil exists in the world. And why do bad things happen to good people? Because bad things happen to all people. It's a part of being human. And so I just wanted to have a more nuanced conversation around spirituality um, and art and politics and how those all dance together. Yeah. How did you end up going to theology school? That's a great question, too. So one of my best friends, Sean, one of my best friends, Sean, he was going to Duke Divinity School. And I went to visit him and his wife and he took me to class with him. And they were talking about theology and slavery. And I was like, what? People do this? Because, you know, (laughs) you go to Sunday school, you go to Sunday church, you go to Bible study. You don't hear slavery unless it's some obscure passage out of a Pauline epistle where he's talking about, I am a slave to Christ. And we don't get down like that. So, um, I, the wheels started turning then. And I was working at NBC Olympics in production. This was during the Beijing games and we were coming up on the end of our time there. And so I was working on a project about Eric Little from Chariots of Fire, you know, that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, yeah, him. And Yale Divinity School had a picture of him in their library. And so I'm going back and forth with the librarian, getting the source that I need. And on my very last correspondence, I was like, BT dubs, what's up with admissions? And so (laughs) I went, I talked to the associate director and the dean of students. Uh, They were like, black woman, smart, Pentecostal, done right (laughs) and so it felt like the place where I was supposed to be to interrogate my faith and to dive deeply and it's also where I started taking poetry as theological expression and spiritual practice seriously Mm. and it's also where I dove into the world of slam poetry I mean there's such a close tie I know for me as an actor there's so much talk about how close religion and theater are Mm -hmm. Um, and poetry too it's just like it's all wrapped up in language and I love Mm -hmm. that I love that you use the word interrogate because that's Mm -hmm. really what being an artist is I feel like it's all wrapped up in curiosity absolutely being an artist means making sense of chaos with everything that's going on in the world we're not necessarily turning to dietitians or podiatrists because our feet hurt from marching, right? We're turning to the artists, express our rage, express our pain, but also express our hope and express our resiliency. So whether it's poetry or song or a saxophone, I love alto sax, or (laughs) jazz, blues, like whatever it is, people want to feel. And artists are the ones who were gifted with these emotions and this ability to emote and to empathize without taking on too much stuff and becoming a trash receptacle of sorts, (laughs) but being able to kind of do this Rubik's cube of emotions and present something that is beautiful and gives life to other people. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about your work with Beautiful Scars? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So as I mentioned before, I'm a part of the inaugural cohort of Do Good X, and my project is called Beautiful Scars. And Beautiful Scars is an online platform for Black women survivors of male sexual violence, particularly those in communities of faith. Mm -hmm. And so it's a space for survivors to shift from silence to storytelling. 
And before, because I'm in the Bay Area, I think I was so focused on having a traditional tech startup with a particular revenue model. And that just didn't feel authentic to me. Again, I'm a storyteller. I know how to harness the power of narrative for social transformation, for personal healing, for community building. And so I thought instead of trying to just sell a product to survivors and profiting off of their pain or trauma, why not create a movement where something that has been so despicable and so hurtful and harmful and causes silence and shame can actually be turned on its head through art into a, a, and setting the platform for advocacy. So how I plan to have this work is launching a video campaign featuring my own story mm-hmm. as a minister, as a survivor, and as a poet. And just share my story and invite other survivors to my website where they'll be able to sign up for a survival kit, right? Like, I don't just talk about surviving, just meandering through life, but surviving, flourishing, despite this horrendous act that you've suffered through. And so my aim is to have women and those who support them to be able to shift their trajectory from silence to storytelling. How do we do that? We start with using arts-centered writing prompts so that we can learn how to tell our stories and then also find ourselves aligning with other healing practices. So it could be mental health care, it could be physical activity, it could be changing our diet, um, just so that we have practical ways to engage in holistic healing. And then once women feel comfortable sharing their stories, they'll be invited to record a video and they can upload it. They can make it private or public, whatever they like to do. And um, they'll be able to share their story with other survivors. So the end game is to have survivors be able to tell their stories in different spaces. So do they start talking to schools, go to their child's school and teach about good touch, bad touch? Do they start to pressure pastor? Hey, pastor, we need to hear a sermon about sexual abuse. We need a Bible study on sexual trauma. Do they start to lobby, you know, because Mm -hmm. the judicial processes and the disciplinary processes on college campuses are pretty much trash and just re-traumatize survivors. So how do they then use their voices to change the systems of oppression and silence around them? So that is the full breadth (laughs) and depth of Beautiful Scars. So before you started kind of framing this as this community and this startup, I know that you were already using your poetry and your ministry to try to expand that conversation, especially within the church. How... Did that take you a while to kind of get to that place after the events that you suffered? Or was it something that you turned to right away that you had the power of your words immediately? Ooh, nothing about healing is immediate. That <laughs> is for sure. Um, I think for me, being in places and spaces where I could bring my whole authentic self were really important. So I had been in church spaces where I would talk about my sexual trauma and it would be minimized. Oh, that was a demonic force. I'm like, no, it was a man actually. (laughs) And he's in New York city. So don't tell me it was a demon. And I think 
that I had to come to terms with realizing what dogma is and what tradition is versus what faith is. You know, a religion is just a system of beliefs. So even atheists are religious because they have a system of beliefs. They just Mm -hmm. don't believe in a supreme being or anything outside of flesh, right? Um, And so for me, I realized that I was going to have to, one, build my own community around what that looked like because I am a survivor of father-daughter incest. And so the dynamic was in my family. And so Mm -hmm. I had to remove myself from my biological family and create my own spiritual family where if you're my good friend, you're just my brother or my sister. Like, that's it. There's family and there are acquaintances. That's That's so important. (laughs) There's no in between. Um, And so for me... It was important to make sure I had those systems in place where if I needed to cry, I could cry. If I needed to roll around on the ground and cuss and scream and throw a tantrum, I could do that. But when I got back up, it was like, okay, now how do we move forward with this? And so making sure that I was around people who called me to my fullest self was important. Now, in terms of the church, we're not talking about sex and sexuality. (laughs) Right. That's the tricky part. That was a part of the reason why I wanted to do this work because I'm a practical theologian. I want to put this into play in real life context. And so my thesis was the problem with Father God, incest as a silent killer in the black church. Because traditionally we talk about God in such masculine terms, but there are, especially in the Bible, so many terms that have feminine endings if you study them in the original languages. And so for many people, they think of God as a male being. They think God has a penis when in fact God is a spirit. God does not have a form or a shape. Now, Jesus, who walked the earth, you know, he was a dude, but I'm not a dude. (laughs) So I'm not going to say, hey, me and Jesus are exactly the same. He's a dude. I'm a woman. Um, And so for me, it was important to lift up story in church, because especially in the black church, the aside from the choir, right, and all the fabulous music, Mm -hmm. the preaching moment is the most potent part. I would argue, of the Sunday morning worship service. And it's when people are wrapped with attention and you can really deliver messaging. And so for me, as as a preacher and a poet, I knew that I was going to have to develop a technique where we could use poetry to preach about sexual trauma because there are no first-person narratives of sexual assault in the Bible. The Bible was written by men, right? Mm -hmm. So women and children don't necessarily have amplified voices in the biblical text. But that doesn't mean that the survival sitting on the third pew and the sixth pew and the eighth pew because 60% of black women have been sexually abused for 18 and half of black church congregations are black women who've been sexually abused. So they're there, right? It doesn't mean that their life story isn't valid. They are still walking around with the invisible scars that can become beautiful in time with healing but they are walking around with those and not hearing a sermon that speaks to that need, not hearing practical healing tips in Bible study to deal with them crying themselves to sleep at night or being triggered by us having a rapist in the white house. And so Mm -hmm. for me, I said, how do we elevate poetry to be a sacred text where we can wed that with scripture so that we can then preach about sexual violence from the pulpit? Because if we hear it in the pulpit, it will be talked about in the pews. And what I want is to move the conversations that are happening in our friends' bedrooms and in the parking lot into the sanctuary, into the fellowship hall. That is the movement that I would like to see. That's 
extremely powerful. And it really, when I was listening to some of your stuff on YouTube, like it really is kind of a seamless melding of the, mm. of the poetry and the preaching. Mm-hmm. Like where you, you don't really realize when you've kind of <laughs> gone from verse to, you know. Right, right. It was There's, really cool. And that's the beauty of embodiment and what Dr. Valerie Bridgman says, knowing what God sounds like in your throat. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to vacillate between preaching and poetry for poetry to preach and for preaching to be poetry, right? That is the goal to find beauty and to encourage people who are disheartened or unsure or anxious and figure out ways forward through voice. It really is just all about honesty and talking about things. I know that's (laughs) a big reason why I started this podcast, a big thing that I've been learning in my life as an adult. It's just like, if we all talked about things yeah, it's a huge first step. And I think that's the trouble, right? Some people yeah. were conditioned to believe that you don't talk about exactly. certain things. I remember going to a church out here in the Bay Area, and the pastor is preaching a text about circumcision, which inherently means you need to talk about the penis, uh-huh. right? It's an anatomical <laughs> issue. And so he's going on and waxing philosophical. And then next thing you know, he's like, oh, there are children in the room. So uh, I'm going to choose my words carefully. Uh, A certain part of a man's anatomy. And that was when he lost me. Actually, he had lost me before then when he tried to have Planned Parenthood. But he really (laughs) lost me. (laughs) And I was like, that was the perfect time for you to say penis, right? We want to make up all of these ridiculous sounding words for our children and then we carry that same shame over into adulthood and it's like we have to do a better job of just using English language right English is a hard language to learn and as native (laughs) English speakers we need to be using the fullness (laughs) of the lexicon okay so anyone who is listening who is a part of a spiritual community Push your spiritual leaders to use the anatomically correct terms for our bodies. Because a large reason about why we're not talking about sexual abuse is because we're not talking about sexuality. And we're not talking about sexuality Mm -hmm. because we're not talking about sex. And we're not talking about sex because we're not talking about bodies. Because bodies are somehow evil and full of sin. And it's like, no, sexuality is a gift from God. None of us would be here if it weren't for the gift of sexual sexuality. Mm-hmm. Amen. And <laughs> so I want to have more full holistic conversations around the body and sex and sexuality in general and having healing from sexual trauma be a part of that. Yeah, that's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any creative mentors that you want to tell me about that have been important in your life? Creative mentors, I identify as an Afrocentric Christian minister. And so when I am living into my ancient African spirituality, the ancestors play an integral role. And even if you look in the Bible, it talks about this great cloud of witnesses that surround us, right? Mm -hmm. And we do this dance to celebrate all of the great biblical ancestors who were so holy and got everything right, but not really. Um, (laughs) And so for me, Lucille Clifton is the voice that I really focused on in my thesis. And she became an ancestral caregiver. She too was sexually abused by her dad. And she wrote this poem that I would love to share. Sure. 
um, because it is one that I walk with every day. And so this is Won't You Celebrate With Me by Lucille Clifton. Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life. I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay. My one hand holding tight my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Hmm. And so every day that we're alive, we've got to just know, like, dude, that thing that tried to take me out yesterday didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't understand how we can, I understand how, because, you know, we're socialized to believe that there's a particular beauty standard, but how we can ever look at ourselves in the mirror and say, oh, that is not gorgeous, right? Or this body, mm-hmm. this home that I walk around this earth in is not sacred. Um, and so for me, I just want everyone to know that they are needed and necessary. And the fact that you are here is reason enough that we need you, right? Your dad explodes, what, 20 million sperm cells into your mom. And <laughs> out of all of those, you are the one who makes it. <laughs> you make it through nine months of gestation and you come into this world for a reason. And so I am grateful for Lucille Clifton. She encourages me. Um, Dr. Maya Angelou, her words are always amazing. Um, Other modern poets, Gwendolyn Brooks, you know, she has a poem about uh, terminating a pregnancy. And Mm. when I think about the attack on abortion care and all of the women who are not going to have access to safe procedures just because some old white man doesn't believe in abortion. You know, it really pisses me off. It makes me sad. It makes me sad that there are women as depicted in Spike Lee's uh, She's Gotta Have It reboot on Netflix that there are women who are born with what we would call flat booties getting all sorts of chemicals and compounds and mixtures injected into their backsides and they are dying from blood infections or um, having some sort of bleeding, you know, something goes wrong while they're getting, and I'm just like, and we, we have done this as a society to these women. Um, and so I just want us to know our beauty and who we are. And, um, I feel like those creators, those artists who have gone before us do a great job of capturing moments that are timeless. Um, it shows solidarity that they too struggled with these things or, or endured certain situations and that we always have, you know, light within us. Yeah. Is there a lesson you've learned over the last couple of years that you are really proud of that you want to tell me about? A lesson that I have learned yeah. in the past couple of years. It can be something small, something large. You know, growing up, I tried to be a perfectionist. Because if I could be perfect, then I could be worthy of love, of value, of time and attention. And so that led me to hold some things back verbally that maybe I wish I would have shared or not really told my full truth. And so 
my my advice would be speak the truth even if your voice shakes Mm -hmm. my advice would be take the risk those are some of the lessons that I've learned because well-behaved women seldom make history Eleanor (laughs) Roosevelt I believe it's attributed to her could have been someone else we never know because it's history right And so just to dream big, and when you have that dream, dream even bigger, because the only thing holding us back is ourselves. And I have learned that no dream is impossible if I just do my part, if I put it out there, because people need to know about it in order Mm -hmm. to give you access to resources, um, good things will happen. What do you define success as? these days I don't, I don't know if this is a I don't know if this is a useful question I don't really uh put a lot of stock in the word mm-hmm. success or like what the establishment tells us is success so I'm just curious I'm curious what you make of that question so this is a fabulous question because this is something that my husband Brandon hey boo is helping me with we've been married for just over six months and I learn so much from him every single day Um, but he has taught me that true success and true wealth is ownership of your time Mm. it's not about how much money you're making if it's not in correlation to how much money you're spending so if you make six figures but you're spending six and a half, right? You're, <laughs> you're not doing well, but you can be an artist and my artist will feel me on this and you will have breadcrumbs, but you will feel like you are feasting because you're getting to create. So maybe it's getting a roommate when you'd rather have your own space. Maybe it's working two part-time jobs instead of one full-time job so that you don't have to be consumed, right, by one particular space. And so true success to me is being Mm -hmm. debt-free. I know these student loans are going to be tagging around here for a little bit, but (laughs) credit card debt, I am the master of that, right? (laughs) It's my insecurity or my deep need that I'm trying to fulfill with some capitalist expression um, that I need to get in check. So that I control. Um, how much I need, what's my overhead, right? Like we want to spend money on for our visual artists, supplies, paint and brushes and canvases and things like that. If you're an actor, maybe you want to join an improv troupe or train with that really well-renowned technician. Um, but for me, pen and pad, yeah. Wi-Fi, that's <laughs> really my throat. Like that's really all that I need. And so True success is learning how to be content with everything that I already have and knowing that I may not be a billionaire, but I also don't need billions to be happy or successful. Um, In fact, because I live in a rent-controlled apartment, because I have clothes still with price tags on them, because I ate, you know, really healthy, delicious meals today, I'm in the top 2% of global wealth just because of that. So yeah, between my husband and life as an artist, I'm learning about true success. That's wonderful. Is, is he in the arts as well? 
So I don't think he would identify as an artist, but he really is. Um, <laughs> he just carries so much wisdom. I do believe he had his Afrocentric spoken word poet rapper moment <laughs> in late <laughs> teens, early 20s. And now he's, you know, super like buttoned down, cardigan. Um, still loves being black, has great locks, has a really full beard that I love. <laughs> um, he loves cinema. Oh my gosh, he can watch anything. And so I wonder if maybe he just wasn't given the platform to create, but he's an appreciator. Say, hmm? He's an appreciator. Definitely an appreciator. Yeah. Absolutely. I know we've talked a, we talked a little bit about this in the beginning when you were talking about mm-hmm. self-care. But mm-hmm. I was wondering when you're having a day where you're feeling really down and uninspired and kind of going to the dark side. Um, are there any specific things that you reach for again and again, like a certain book that you read or music you listen to or place you go? That's a great question. So I'm thinking about daily rituals. I love rituals because once you know what you're doing, it's very easy to just get in the act of it. So whether it's taking a shower when you get home from a really long day and just let that water that healing cleansing agent come across your body and your flesh and you just rinse away the day that could be a ritual it mm-hmm. could be lighting some sage and just setting an intention for the day um that can be a ritual i for one love music um i love artists like laura and vula she's out of the uk very feral voice um i love Nina Simone, you know, I'll just mm-hmm. go on YouTube and listen to God, 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 or Four Women. Um, I oftentimes listen to preachers that I like just to see what does the sound of God feel like or, you know, how is that resonating today? Um, so, yeah, I use media to its benefit uh when you are uninspired you just have to find music uh speakers speeches um any kind of writing right now i'm reading year of yes by shonda rhimes and you know there are some books that claim to be laugh out loud funny and you're like okay yeah that's really cute (laughs) but no this one really whether i'm in my apartment like people looking at me like what are you i'm like this no she's really funny because she's authentic right she's herself she's telling it like it is um and so yeah always finding time to read other truth tellers is helpful too wonderful and then i was wondering if there's anything you've seen recently that you want to recommend of any art form locally in your area or anything that I've seen recently. Um, I mentioned earlier that she's gotta have it has been rebooted. If you will, Spike Lee's first seminal film about a black woman with three lover or actually, (laughs) (laughs) Um, owning her sexuality um, at a time where people think they own women's bodies. How dare she reclaim her temple and her sexuality? Um, And so I think they did a really excellent job of, one, sort of laying the foundation of music, uh, soul, R&B, hip-hop. There was even some Frank Sinatra thrown in there to give millennials... uh, 
crash course in soulful music. Um, I think they also did a great job of dropping nuggets around different kinds of art forms. So whether it's painting or you're the curator of an art gallery, like there are so many different roles for artists in the industry. And I think it's important that artists learn how to be on the business side of things so that you can Mm -hmm. then pave the way and make opportunities for other artists. And so if you have that acumen or if you've got a burning desire to learn about finance or marketing, you know, follow that because we don't want the only people to have access to resources or those who just like it because it looks cute and want to put it on their wall or say that they own, you know, a piece by this hot new artist. You know, you want people who really understand the process of art making and creating and who can vouch for us. Yeah, that's so. a great way to say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess an extension of this question is, are there any um, local places in Oakland or San Francisco that you like to go to see live art? Oh, um, where do I like to go to see live art? I actually really like the Root Slam in Oakland. Um, The poetry scene in the Bay Area has always been really fierce, you know, amazing poets, multiracial, across the spectrum of sexuality, all these different walks of life. Uh, But there's something happening at the root, which has been around for a little over a year now, um, where justice is at the center of it, and especially being in Oakland, right? The home of the Black Panther Party. And Angela Davis can be seen running around on Lakeshore Avenue one day, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's important that that particular narrative is conserved, preserved, not conserved. It's important that the narrative of justice be preserved because with Silicon Valley suffocating (laughs) uh, creativity and safe spaces for artists in the Bay Area, the only thing we have left is resistance and ourselves and community and speaking true to power and trying to reform housing policy and trying to create alternative living spaces Mm -hmm. and trying to make sure that the people who made Oakland what it was don't get pushed out, you know, and shut out. Um, And so the Root Slam has an open mic and you get to hear a lot of really neat voices and then it changes to the Slam, which is more competitive. And so how can we rate art well you have to do it zero (laughs) and pick a number uh with a decimal um yeah so i'm really enjoying what they've got going on oh and they do this every other week so the other bi-weekly forum uh is a writing workshop so one week they'll do an open mic in the slam the next week they'll do a writing workshop so it's great because we're not only calling you into a space to share but we're calling you into a space to create and i think that sacred time for many people that's church for some people you know where they get to come and sit and um workshop a piece they've been playing around with or maybe they're feeling like they're going to the dark side and they need to hear other people's words to draw them to the light um So I I really appreciate the roots for that. That's wonderful. Well, I'm going to wrap it up unless there's something that we haven't touched on that you really wanted to talk about. Um, I guess I'd just like to close by sharing this ancient African proverb. If you can talk, you can sing. If you can walk, you can dance. 
And I'd like to add a proverbial nugget that if you can write, you can be a poet. So many people are like, oh, I could never be a poet. I'm like, write a sentence about how you're feeling today. Congratulations. <laughs> you are a poet, right? Now, I'm not saying it's going to be earth shattering and earth moving, but. But you did it. You did it, right? And that's so important that we take chances and take risks and realize that you may think you have a handle on things, but you never know what's going on with your body if you don't pay attention to it. And with so much, you know, technology and digital access and social media, we can swipe here and like that, comment this and share that, that it's like, When do you unplug and really tune into the interior life and find out what's going on with me? How am I feeling as a citizen of the United States right now? How am I feeling as a queer woman of color? How am I feeling as a transgender man in a really Christian conservative family, right? Like these are the kinds of conversations that are hard and scary and gritty, but it's also where the truth is. And that is beauty to me. So don't be afraid of the poetry. Embrace the poetry. Embrace <laughs> well, that your life. It's <laughs> a perfect, perfect place to leave this. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for sharing oh, with me. This was yeah. lovely. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.